Welcome to Dragon Talk, ladies and gentlemen, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and uh, I have uh, someone who's very wonderful here. Mike Zollinger. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was referring to you. <laughs> oh, oh, me! Shelly Mazinovel. You're Shelly, mm-hmm. and you are... We have Mike here as well, but he has to be quiet right now. I am very he's quiet. Not, he's Look not really him. here. As a mouse. Uh, we'll get to our interview with him uh, and uh, talking about the amazing stuff he's done with Lone Shark Games, as well as when he was creative director of Third Edition here at Wizards of the Coast. Got a lot of history. And he's wearing a vintage Wizards of the Coast shirt right I now. I think too. he picked that on purpose. It's true. Uh, so, but I can't we do say ha- anything. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Why are we even. Yeah. Don't look at him. him. Don't look at him. <laughs> Don't look at the man in the vintage <laughs> Wizards shirt. <laughs> We have really exciting things to talk about. Around, I just want to talk to him. I know. Okay, I do the I'm same not, thing. I'm not going to look at you. I'm not being rude, Mike. I'm just not looking. That's, that's the way to do it. Look directly. Look at, I'm pointing look at in my me. eyes. Look into my eyes. <laughs> as soon as you look down at your script, she's going to look at me. It's true. It happened already. <laughs> well, we have exciting things to talk about here, Shelley. Even though you don't, you like to just joke around, think they're not exciting, but they are exciting. Mm-hmm. We are calling this, Trust me. <laughs> this long-form interview podcast is now called Dragon Talk. Did you know that? I did. I'm talking really loud. So there's a little talk. bit of talk, right? Exactly. It's like <laughs> coffee talk. <laughs> exactly. So we removed all the the episodes that uh, uh, we had in the past in the Wayback Machine, going back to 2008, where there were live play sessions. You might remember from Acquisitions Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, all of those sessions are now in a new feed called Dungeon Delve. And uh, they're remastered and re-recorded. I see the connection. Yes, see our, our amazing engineer, uh, Ryan, did some jiggery-pokery. He won't look at us. He won't look at us either. Jesus. It's like <laughs> the really? most impersonal podcast ever. We're getting so snubbed. I know. But go check out Dungeon Delve. It's new. It uh, doesn't have all the, the ratings and, and reviews on it, so we're up. To, it's up to you guys to, to give it uh, a, a thumbs up you of approval. You can make or break it. You can make or break it. And I think, you should, I think you should make it because it's pretty <clears throat> awesome. And uh, you get new intros from uh, Chris Perkins telling you all about what happens in those sessions. Yeah, um, very cool. Yeah. Like the director's cut. He's right. like telling you everything about them except it's only like a little paragraph. But it's still amazing. And uh, you should go check it out. But here on uh, uh, Dragon Talk, we'll continue with the long-form interviews uh, that we've done with D&D creators uh, uh, going back to uh, uh, you know people like um, uh, who have we talked to? Some really amazing people. Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson. Remember him? Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon. Um, Other people. <laughs> super awesome people. Uh, <laughs> I'm putting Shelly on the spot. She's, she's really on the spot on I that remember one. the topics more than the names. It's true. Yeah. What are some of the topics? <laughs> um, the, remember we talked to Gary? Gary Astleford? Yeah. The, the, the Girl Scout troop leader? Yes. I can't wait mm-hmm. to... Uh, Dr. B? Dr. B. We just talked to a few weeks ago. Yeah. was amazing Using about... Using D&D for, to work with, with kids on the spectrum. Awesome. And then also uh, the educational uh, benefits of Dungeons mm-hmm. & Dragons. Uh, Cade Wells. Cade Wells is doing. Yes, Look exactly. at us name dropping. I know. We're finally... Those, yeah. those old machines inside our head are working. Oh. Uh, so we'll continue doing that as well as uh, uh, some amazing... Uh, lore-based segments that will be coming to you uh, uh, pretty darn soon. So go. Very cool. You're all subscribed to Dragon Talk. Go check out Dungeon Delve, and it's awesome. But there's another really big thing that's going on. Do no way. Can I talk about it? Is it okay? Yeah. All right. You, that you're was, the communications manager. You tell me if it's okay. I know. It's like it's, it's a tactic. I know. Bob. You're like, excited. Is it okay you're to really talk excited. about it? And then you're supposed to say, like, yeah, Greg, instead of the, yeah, uh, uh, I guess. If you have to. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited to talk to Mike, but go ahead and mouth Fine. on about I your just showed cool up to, D&D I stuff. just showed up to be on Dragon Delve. I'm really, I'm really <laughs> disappointed. You're messing I, up our branding, Mike. <laughs> Don't do oh. it. All right, Dragon so twop. the other big thing no, is D&D is I'm, I'm, Live from Meltdown. Yes. Meltdown Comics in L.A., Hollywood. We're going to be doing an amazing show down there on June 1st, 4 p.m., streaming on our Twitch channel, which is Watsy underscore D and D. Check W-O-T-C. that out. W O T C. W O T C. Yeah, we call it Watsy here in the biz, but yeah. you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll be telling you all about the new Dungeons <laughs> & Dragons uh, storyline that's coming out this, this fall. This is going to be cool. It's, uh, we're going to have comedians, a new adventuring party led by Matt Mercer as DM will be out there. The whole thing will be uh, hosted by Allison Hayslip, uh, who you may remember from G4. Um, go check out DungeonsAndDragons.com for all the more information uh, about D&D Live from Meltdown. But June 1st, 4 June p.m. 1st. Pacific time. Watch it. I'll be there. Tune Watch in. It. It'll be amazing. Not there. Yeah. Here, watching. Yeah, because Meltdown is like, I don't know if you know this, but Meltdown Comics is like this hotbed of, yes, of, of geekum 
A geekum. Is, mm-hmm. that a, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Geekery? Geekery. All right, let's go with geekery. Hotbed of geekery. I like yeah. that. Down in Hollywood, uh, uh, you hear about all the uh, these like comedians and actors and stuff who go in there to get their the latest issue of, of, of uh, uh, the comics, but it's also like a comedy venue back yeah, then. Yeah, they have a backstage area. Yeah, like or, a whole back room where they, mm-hmm. they record. That's where uh, Dan Herman does his podcast. That's right. That's where the Meltdown show is on Comedy Central. That's where Long we're going to be doing uh, our D&D Live. Look at us. Yeah, it'll be all there. We got a partners come in. We got people from Neverwinter, people from WizKids, people from Gale Force 9. There'll what? be new minis that they'll be showing there. Uh, uh, cool. We Love Fine will show off some crazy, awesome D&D apparel. That's very cool. Yeah, Doug from Fantasy Grounds, who we also talked to on the podcast. Oh, that was another He's one. He's going to be there. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's going to be great. Hour-long session all about uh, what, what Dungeons & Dragon products are coming out soon. <laughs> okay, that yeah. sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Are you convinced yet? I feel like I'm, I'm selling you, Shelley. I know. Yeah. I have a tough, tough audience. <laughs> Tell me, is The Bachelor going to be Yes. There? The Bachelor, all of The Bachelors, all 20 of them. Sold. And The Bachelorettes. Sold. Will all be there, and all they right. are going to be playing Dungeons & Dragons. That, it could happen. Because that seems like the, something that they'd like they to do. They have a lot of spare time in that house. That's true. When they're not filming. Well, the right, reason why... Ryan? Ryan has scoop on The Bachelor. He totally he knows all the scoop. He won't freaking tell me. He really knows all about jerk. it. Yeah, they're really into gaming. It's basically a game they're playing, right? It's love. It's love a love is game. Not a game. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, are you writing marketing copy for the for the Bachelor now? <laughs> In the, my dreams. The reason why I'm telling you all of this stuff, Shelley, is because you've been working on something else uh, over the last few months. Mm-hmm. What have you been working on? Which is actually like some of the stuff you're telling me. I'm like, really? I actually didn't know because I feel like my head has been buried somewhere. In what? In a haunted house on a hill. Dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, can we can we talk to him? Yeah, about let's that? talk to him about it. That's what I'm, this is the segue that's been well, here no, in front I of you. I was like ready to talk about it, but this is why Mike's here. That's right. No, I'm here to talk about The Bachelor. I really like that idea. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. So, I mean, like you know, the early rose ceremonies they <laughs> seem to have they seem to have had sort of a joie de vivre around them that I didn't think you, they've captured in the more recent seasons. And the, okay, don't tease me. <laughs> <laughs> I've never a lot seen, of people I've never seen The Bachelor. That's pretty good. But you That's pretty about good. rose ceremonies. I, I, I've read Wikipedia pages before. About The Bachelor? Well, Why? Uh, I've read all of Wikipedia. Oh, my God. That's true. He, well, he that edits was, it. You never know. Like, There's a lot of people who watch The Bachelor. I, I know. And people them. listening to us right now who are like... They probably don't, so I should just stop talking about it. No, they should. <laughs> I'm sure that some of them out there do. And they play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. There's a Venn diagram there. Indeed. And how many of those people do you think play Betrayal at House on the Hill? Oh, all of them. Everybody. Yeah, soon. In the world. Actually, that's a fabulous name for The Bachelor. (laughs) What? Betrayal at House on the Hill. (laughs) Because they do live in a big mansion. It is kind of like that, actually. There are a lot of similarities there. There really are. We should devote the podcast to it. Okay. So, what's the. So, what happens in the bathroom? Uh, well, <laughs> that's in which of the two things we're talking about? Well, actually, nothing <laughs> happened in the bathroom for a long time because there wasn't a that's bathroom. That's true. That's true. We should we should tell people why we're talking about Betrayal at House. We now. recently announced the first ever expansion for Betrayal at House on the Hill, Widow's Walk. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We uh, I got my team together. These guys uh, came and said, you want to do some more Betrayal at House on the Hill? And basically, I'd not said I was going to do that like ever and then they said <laughs> no really to. they said no like really and I went oh yeah of course I'd do that that sounds great so let's I'm do glad that. that you said yes too because I had already said that you said yes yeah. when I pitched the idea here <laughs> oh wow that's <laughs> yeah that's sneaky stuff that's right expert there. level uh, <laughs> of uh, like manipulation there. don't worry don't worry he's totally on board yes, he's totally on board yes. look we got we got Brad Pitt we got we got Angela Jolie this thing's this movie's gonna be great yeah <laughs> they actually haven't said yes yet but it still doesn't matter it's gonna be great it's, I how had they that much no? faith that no much it was faith a good bet um, uh, we we got some of our friends together to um to write stuff for it. We got some cool people that, uh, people I'd known for a long time and then new friends, um, people like uh, Anita Sarkeesian and Pendleton Ward and uh, uh, Max Temkin and, and Rob Davio. Rob Davio. Uh, uh, all the, all the pe- people who'd worked on it originally, like Brian Tinsman and Bruce Glasgow, the original creator of the game, and then you know new folks, people who you know were like 
whatever, 13 when the game came out, you know, like uh, Zoe Quinn and, and people like that. So just crazy times, and, uh, yeah, we did it. But these are also people that you knew had a soft spot in their hearts for this game. Yeah, a lot of those people a, that say the, that this is how they got into gaming. Yeah, that was the that was the litmus test, right? It was just like, hey, uh, I'd, I'd actually start my conversations like this. So, hey, have, uh, have you ever played Betrayal at House on the Hill? And they'd go, Oh yeah, I did once, and I was the conversation's over. Okay, gotta go. Right? Oh, right? my, my other line. That was, it. that was it, right? Because you wanted people who had played like right. you know, know, yeah. multiple, oh, multiple yeah. times. No, I think it's okay. Yeah, done. Okay. Conversation done. But but when somebody on the other end um, would say, "Oh my God, that's my favorite game. It was the thing that got me, taught me that there was more to gaming than Monopoly," you know, and stuff like that. I was like. You you come over here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I gotta in look inside this magic now. box, and uh, yeah, we managed to somehow keep two hundred people quiet about it for like that's amazing. Two no, months. it is it is amazing to me, and it's what was amazing and that was at PAX East. I think I might have told you this, but I was talking to Christopher Bedell. Yeah. Who, He's like the nicest guy. He's pretty cool. He's but his a crazy heart person. is so crazy. Yeah, for a crazy person. Creator yeah. of Sentinels of right? the Multiverse. Yes. Sentinels of the Multiverse. Yes. So he said that he, I didn't realize this, but he didn't know who the other contributors were until we did the him. announcement. <laughs> yeah, I kept everybody in the they, dark. And, he, and that he said, like, some of my best friends were also working on and this game. And they couldn't tell And, him, and right? they didn't tell each other. No, it was, it was good. That, uh, Will Heinmarch, who's one of the authors, um, said uh, right after we, we uh, revealed it, uh, he, he tweeted, two people can keep a secret if one of them is Mike Selinger. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said about me <laughs> that I would give the impression that if you break my secret I'm going to bust both your legs <laughs> right like that's basically how it came across right and I'm like no it's, I mean obviously I wouldn't do that but but it was but you def- threaten it at least I didn't you know I didn't have to everybody knew it was a big deal they wanted to be part you know um we did a we did a project uh for uh the magic team recently mm-hmm. uh, which was this big launch of um uh, Shadows over Innistrad, and people were blown away by this crazy thing we did with all these escape rooms and and stuff. And the general consensus was, we should stop, you know, trying to get spoilers and leaks and stuff like that. Because when Wizards of the Coast can release information on its schedule, it's really cool, right? Like Wizards does just an unbelievable job of. When they have everybody's attention of saying, check this out. Oh, wait, check this out, right? And that sort of revelation process, the surprise of it, is actually part of the game, part yeah. of the fun. And if you go out of your way to ruin that fun, well, congratulations. You scored, <laughs> right. you scored some no fun. Yeah, you made, not, you made not fun happen. Good job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Whereas everybody was really happy that we didn't tell them. So was that uh, was that what the case when you were working here at Wizards of the Coast? When did you, when did you start? Uh, I started in 1995, and uh, the sort of the early Bronze Age, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, left in 2003. And was and Betrayal at House on the Hill was my last game. At, uh, oh no way! Cool, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, it was uh, the game. So I'd worked on. I started working on. Uh, Magic and um, some of the trading card games, BattleTech, and mm-hmm. uh, I was a creative director for Harry Potter and the Marvel games and stuff oh. like that. And then uh, I was working on BattleTech, and uh, you know it was fun playing with giant robot tanks. And uh, we bought TSR at the time, and I was like, oh, you know, uh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm making my little robot tanks go. It's fun, you know, and stuff like that. They said, uh, well, we got the Marvel license. Would you like Spider-Man? And I went, um, yes. I would to like Spider-Man. To like have Sp- you robot tanks. Exactly. So I threw aside the robot <laughs> tanks, came over. And then, um, so, uh, so I made this Marvel game called uh, the Marvel Superheroes Adventure Game, and uh, it was super fun. At the same time, they started thinking we should maybe, I don't know, launch another edition of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Because that hasn't happened in a while. Mm-hmm. And I just got swept up in it. I suddenly became the the creative director for all the the new products, the, the sort of intro box and the 
you know, all the all the things that we're supposed to get a new generation of D and D players because we didn't really have an old. We were starting to lose the old generation of D and D players at the time, yeah. and uh, it seemed to work out pretty well. It was super fun times. Those those uh, design meetings and those those um, uh, uh, strategy sessions and playtest sessions with um, what is now just a hall of fame of designers, right? I mean, Monty, yeah. Monty Cook and Jonathan Tweed and, and you know, uh, all the guys from the magic side, Scaff Elias and, um, uh, you know, uh, Rich Baker, just, just, I mean, a murderer's row. Uh, and all of us just going at each other on a daily basis uh, with these knockdown drag-out fights of what the future of... Dungeons and Dragons was going to become okay, so not in a sexual sense. Okay, good. oh no no. I, <laughs> well, in addition, you. you guys were also going at in each other. Addition to in a sexual sense. <laughs> crazy times. So, what were some of those discussions like? What was what, what were the oh, fights about? Oh, they were about all sorts of things. like. Um, well, the first thing I said, um, the first first thing I said um, in the first meeting was. If you just make armor class go the other direction, you will have done the Lord's work. <laughs> because at the time it went negative to it negative was. 10. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, and that was the beginning of what was sort of the, the Hippocratic method. And then, so there were some people who were on the side of, let's just, let's just, let's just fix this thing up a little bit, you know, just polish it up, send it back out, you know, send it, send it out to the prom looking good. And other people were like, we are going to create a Frankenstein's monster. We are going to, we are going to rebuild this thing for Steve Austin's Bigger, style. stronger. Yeah, better. exactly. <laughs> and uh, there were some, some real fights over what, you know, people would say, what is the, whole, the heart and soul of Dungeons and Dragons and are we taking it away? Um, I think the, the end result is that we didn't do that, that we created a really popular edition of Dungeons and Dragons, and um, it got a new generation of people playing a game and, and so forth. And, you know, like I said, I, you, my, my part in it was, was, was uh, sort of on the sidelines, just making sure not to screw it up. You know, not to, not to just to make sure that things things went well and people people played nice in the sandbox, or if they weren't going to play nice in the sandbox, at least minimize the blast radius. And uh, um, the end result is, um, I think, the the fundament of what we're we're playing on today, right? I yeah. Mean, the fifth edition is a callback to a lot of that stuff, but it's so much faster, so much sleeker, so much tougher. Right, that you're, you know, you can see the, the evolutionary chain there mm-hmm. from from what what our guys did to what the fourth edition team did to what we got now. It's just a, a really fun roller coaster to be on. Absolutely. So yeah. So you were. So would you say that your biggest uh, uh, credit was getting rid of the the this descending army <laughs> I class? <laughs> I don't know if I, you know. Uh, actually, the weirdest thing is I think my. I think the thing I did that probably had the most significant effect was really something somebody else did. So Ryan Dancy walked into the room and said, I have this idea for what if we just gave away the system? What if we just told everybody they could write anything they wanted for D&D and, and such? And the room was just dead silent as you saw all the people who'd come from Lake Geneva and all the, all the folks trying to figure out, you know, this crazy idea. And I just said, that's the best idea I've ever heard. We should totally do it. And, you know, somehow that broke the ice between R&D brand and R&D, um, uh, I'm sorry, R&D uh, RPG and RPG brand to to go forward with the crazy OGL concept, mm-hmm. which I think uh, had both positives and negatives, but was a huge deal. Uh, yeah, it kind of changed the, the landscape mm-hmm. of, yeah. of what uh, uh, RPG development really really was. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, like I said, I wasn't the only one who who embraced that goal. Don't don't get me wrong, but like I was, I I was. You know, they're saying this is yes, this is not what we do normally, but we should totally embrace the future. We should, 
find out what copy left means, you know, <laughs> things like that, right? Yeah. And uh, and I think it turned out all right. Um, the but yeah, I mean, I was I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird. I can't really point at like. I imagine, like, Monty, Monty wrote the Dungeon Master's Guide. I didn't write the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like, that's a, that's a thing you can point at and say. Um, but I was sort of around and helping the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the things I did that I, that I really enjoyed was I tended to be the person who would try to figure out, uh, people would send in their resumes to work at RPG R&D, and uh, they'd, they'd get to me first. Right, oh, and that's so, cool. so that was kind of neat too, in some ways, was because like, the the HR would drop off, you know, four hundred resumes on my desk, and my job was to try to figure out Go which of the them, slush pile, right? Yeah, try to figure out which of them was going to forge the future of role playing, and that was pretty fun. Like, yeah. uh, who were you responsible for? Oh, I I wasn't responsible for anybody. Who did you point. pick out of the slush pile? Anyone that was. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, James Wyatt was one no. of the early. Really? Yeah, I don't know if he was, I wouldn't call him slush pile. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he might have risen to the top. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, he was he was in that, you know, initial wave. Um, really? And uh, yeah, I mean, just, but I mean, just an incredible group of people that came together. Um, like I said, I, no, but none of us, the thing to know about that period of time is none of us ever made a single independent decision the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it was Unlike like now. A, it's like a D&D party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So I we can't have really, so much autonomy now. I can't claim credit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I can't claim credit for any of it, right? Because there was always a seven-person meeting that had to decide just about right. everything. But well, probably more importantly, you're the people who you, who you turned away. Oh, I have. Right? That, who they, didn't go up the ladder where well, you were like, not, oh. Let's not let them know where I live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I'm should, sure there were a few uh, uh, I, superstars of the D20 era somehow who... Uh, uh, I imagine they saw their names at one point or yeah. another. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. That's time. interesting. But it was fun. Um, I, uh, I enjoyed working. I know I worked on... I actually started in, in uh, high school... Um, writing modules and crossword puzzles and stuff like that for Dragon Magazine and for the RPGA and such. And actually In put, high school? Yeah. I put myself through college that way. Writing for de- for Dragon? Yeah. Really? Yeah, for Dragon and for the RPGA and for... I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like uh, I was paid a fortune, but, you know, you can buy a lot of ramen for for the price of one dungeon module. Have you seen the price of ramen? It's, it's actually, getting, it's, it's getting like crazy. <laughs> it's getting How you're like, well, this used to be 10 cents and now no. it's 50 cents? Man, what? Many, God, many, inflation. Many things used to be 10 cents. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, so how did you transition away from, uh, from D&D uh, to work on, on, on board games like oh, Betrayal? Oh, well, um, there was a point where um, we had finished... Uh, we had finished all of third edition's core books, and I was just so done. <laughs> I mean, why? I, why did you get you burn out a little oh, bit? Oh, I was I was so trashed at the end. Of the, no, I mean, like we put we put like you know three four years into into that. So I wrote like I, I started writing like I wrote a a book called Masters of the Wild, which was a D and D. A Rangers and Druids supplement with Dave Eckleberry, and I, I wrote some stuff for, I don't know, various other things at the time, and I realized that there was a, a really stark difference between me and almost everyone else who worked in RPG R&D, which is they could write 20,000 words a month and I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just not any good at that. Like, I was good at telling people to write 20,000 words a month. I could do that all day long. I was, I was real good at that. That's how you transition to be a CEO yeah, of Launch exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but I was just like, wow, my future is not writing all the time for D&D. I, I love it. I've, I really enjoyed the time I was doing it, but it is pretty brutal, actually. And so um, the I was actually thinking of leaving the company uh, and going off and doing my own thing, and they said, wait, 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 wait. What if we gave you Avalon Hill? And I was like, no, you don't. You don't even have Avalon Hill. You can't give me what you don't have. That's over in Hasbro, you know, in, in Rhode Island. You you can't actually give me that. And they said, well, uh, what if what if we what if we could? And so, 
um, all of a sudden, I was presented with the opportunity to do the first relaunch of Axis and Allies in whatever it was, 18 years. And that's not something a board game designer turns down. Like that, you just right. don't, right? I mean, like, you're like, oh, uh, yes, whatever plans I had are on hold. <laughs> and um, so we did that. Uh, I did that with Larry Harris, and Rich Baker helped out a lot on that. And uh, then I got the opportunity to do, I was told I could do whatever risk game I wanted. And so I came up with this idea called Risk Godstorm. Which was this I crazy, actually didn't know that was you. Yeah, so it's crazy mythological thing. It's completely un- unbalanced and ridiculous. <laughs> but a Rich and Mike um, Mike Denae were were crucial to making that, um, and it was crazy and fun. And you know, here here's Stonehenge, here's Excalibur, you know, here's Atlantis, and it sinks, you know, that kind of fun stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I was asked, okay, that's great. Um, you got three games there. You got Axis and Allies, you got Axis and Allies' D-Day, 60th Anniversary Edition, uh, and you got Risk Godstorm, but we need four games. And I was like, yeah, okay. And they're like, well, what do you got? And I'm like, oh, it's just on me? Like, that's, that's how this works? Okay, fine. Um, Rob Davio had slipped me this copy of this game he found in a drawer, which is called The House on the Hill, and it had tiles and uh, and dice and cards and weird pentagonal characters and three-story books and paper clips and all this nonsense in it. And Clippy uh, was involved. Yeah, I think Clippy <laughs> was involved. And uh, so they, so they, um, they, I, I, he had tried to get it through Hasbro and they just laughed at him because I mean, like this is a company that was really good at producing the best games in America. They had. Uh, Scrabble and Clue and and Monopoly and all those all those games and this, this game looked nothing like those games, right? There was no way that they could go to their buyers and say, "Well, just buy you know while you're getting your cases of Monopoly, throw in this house on the hill. I'm sure you're going to love it, right?" And so, so he managed to uh, slip it under the windowsill to me basically, and I pitched it to the. Uh, to the people here at the time, and I said, you know, it's got you know, got tiles and dice and and uh, three rule books and and stuff like that. And I'm thinking this is a really good sales pitch. Um, and they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, okay, let's. How about like another like Axis and Allies or Risk? You know, something combat heavy, something like that. And uh, it's like, well, that's not this game. So they said, we know. <laughs> we got that. I'm like, oh, okay. So I presumed I never was going to make it. But then plans fell through for a, another game. Uh, and I was just like, I really want to make this thing. And they were like, okay, fine, whatever. We have a hole in the schedule. Just, just make it, whatever it is. And so, you know, we kind of hid in the back room and made Betrayal at House on the Hill, and uh, got a really great team together, got Bruce Cordell to help out, Bill Slavisak, Brian Tinsman, Taylor Woodruff, uh, Gwen Kestrel, Brian Campbell, really great group of people, and uh, just knocked out what we thought was going to be a crazy, you know, one-shot game, something that people would go, I guess this is kind of cool. Right. I don't really know what it is. What was it about that game that made you want to make it so so much? Well, it didn't do anything that any other game did, right? Like, none of the things were right. Like, nothing made sense. The concept of having three rule books, you know, and somebody leaves the room in the middle of the game. Like, <laughs> none of that made any sense to anyone else. And what other people saw is, you know, that's not how games are played. I said, that's how games are going to be played. Yeah. From now on. Yeah. Like, people are going to leave the room in the middle of the game. So <laughs> they don't do that. But, right. Uh, but, I mean... <laughs> Unless you're playing diplomacy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. For but, different uh, But you could sort of see it. You could you could see the DNA that was coming. I mean, the legacy games that, that Rob did, the mm-hmm. uh, our game, Pathfinder, Adventure Card Game, all the, all the things, Pandemic... Uh, all these things were presaged by this crazy little House on the Hill game. 
And I was like, we're going to be making something that no one else has made. And either they're going to forget about it immediately or they're going to point back at it and say, that's the game. That's the game that, that turned this whole thing around. And I made so, that uh, case convincingly, and so we made it. Yeah, so you convinced uh, uh, everybody here to, to make it. Yeah. Uh, can you uh, – because I'm, I'm sure there's going to be people who are listening to this podcast who have never even heard of Betrayal on House of the Hill, uh, sadly. Well, now they, they should. Now they have. They've heard it several times. So uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned the three uh, rule books, and the, and and but can you just kind of give a quick overview as to sure. how how it's played, and then we can get into what the Widow's Walk does. Let's do that. So uh, basic concept is it's a cooperative game, at least to start. Mm-hmm. Um, you start out in a entrance hallway of a haunted house that you can't see all of, uh, and you poke around going from room to room, finding items and omens and uh, events that happen along the way. And you explore this house, get get it sort of built out to a robust state, um, all sorts of things befall you. Uh, and uh, then at some point after you've accumulated a certain number of omens, you roll some dice and if you get under that number of omens, you trigger the second phase of the game, which is called the haunt. And the haunt, Normally in a game, it would be like, now go to phase two, and and phase two would be some structured play style. But this game did something very different. It said, we're going to send you to to a couple of books. Uh, And the books are like 60 pages long. And uh, you, Greg, since you're the the betrayer at this Mm -hmm. point. I'm always the betrayer. Always the betrayer. Always. Uh, You leave the room with the traitor book, right? And the rest of us, me and Shelly and Ryan, we're going to stay here and we're going to figure out how to stop you. And it's different every time. We don't, we don't know what you know. Uh, you don't know what we know. We both come back to the table and we try to kill each other or something. Like we don't even know. We might just have to build a toy airplane, right? We <laughs> might have to. We might have to uh, uh, build a signaling tower for the aliens. Like we might have to do any number of strange things. And you might say, "Oh well, now I'm, now I'm Frankenstein's monster, and I'm going to come and destroy you." Or now I'm some sort of uh, uh, mold uh, uh, spore organism that's going to take over your bodies and stuff like that. All these crazy things, all these horror tropes and, and new ideas. And since you have no idea what the outcome is going to be, you have no idea what haunt you're going to play, you can't really strategize for it except to make sure that you're not going to get screwed when it goes down, right? And everybody, so it's a cooperative game, but yet I'm not sure I want to help you too much because if you turn out to be the bad guy, I may have set you up to be mm-hmm. be much worse than I can handle, right? Yeah. So, so this weird little tension runs through the game. You pay real close attention on everybody else's turn. And um, so yeah, and there were 50 haunts in the original game. And at the time, I said, you know, 50 haunts isn't really enough. <laughs> But it's a lot. It's a lot. But 50 haunts isn't really enough because it's like you could roll the same haunt, you know, on your eighth or ninth session of this and, you know, feel feel like you. But I, I was talking like it's not enough for like the first year of the game. Right. Like, you know, by the second year, you're going to need to do more haunts so people stay interested in the game. Well, one year turned into two, and two years turned into four, and all of a sudden it's 12 years later, and people are playing the same game and still having a great time with it. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, like, we've totally seen that. I'm, I'm Shelly, you've oh, seen yeah. it more, too, of, of people who, uh, uh, when, when did uh, Betrayal first come out? 2004. 2004, yeah. 2004. And the second edition in 2010. Yeah. I feel like it's been ramped up since then, where I've heard mm-hmm. more and more people talk about it in, in, in groups. And yeah, other people are definitely still discovering it. Yeah, <coughs> that's cool, too. I mean, one of the things that's great about it is you might have played all the scenarios over 100 or 200 sessions of the game, but when one new person shows up, the whole thing is different. Mm-hmm. And it's, the house is different, too, which the is house why is different. there's yeah. a lot of replayability to it. Oh, no question. But we were, we were convinced that you know, people would get tired of the game real quick unless we uh, put some new content in. You know. And then I left, and that, I don't know if that was the catalyst or just other things happened, but no one made anymore. And I just assumed that over that period of time, 
somebody would make a new set of betrayal. One of the reasons we called it Betrayal at House on the Hill was uh, we wanted to put Betrayal at in front of a lot of other things. So we wanted to do Betrayal at Ice Station Zero and, betrayal, you know, whatever, right? Um, and none of that happened, but... Um, Ooh, Ice Station Zero. Doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah, Don't it you really want to does. Ice Station Zero? It's kind of like a, a thing, yeah, right? Yeah. The John Carpenter's... Bet- yeah. yeah, exactly. Betrayal, betrayal at... Uh, at uh, the Orion Circle, or, you know, <laughs> like that. oh wait, we're going to the Orion Cluster. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so, but <laughs> watch real time design right now for yeah, Mike exactly. <laughs> But I mean, the fact is that we all lose track of time, and we went on to do other things, and Wizards went on to do other things, and we just never thought we'd get back together, right? We never thought it was going to be a thing that that happened until. I would say around 2012, when um, people just kept asking, and not just me, they kept asking Shelley and, and everyone nearby the, the, the Avalon Hill brand and, and such, it was like, when are you guys going to do more Betrayal at House on the Hill? And it just came over and over. Every time I do, I do these you know big um, uh, panels at PAX, conventions and stuff and you know I'll get and I'll get I'll, I'll I'll have about 30 minutes of material and then I'll open it up for questions and Sorry. <laughs> it's a haunted house okay. <laughs> bam mm-hmm. there's ghosts around there are they are yeah um, so uh, every every time I do this somebody would say oh what are you gonna do more trailer house on the hill I'd say, well you'd have to ask wizards of the I had a I had a very polished speech, right? You have to ask Wizards of the Coast now. Technically, that's their brand, not mine. So you should go, you know, I didn't even design the original game. I just made it happen. And so, um, uh, but enough of that, enough people saying it over and over on every forum, on every convention, on every Wizards of the Coast, uh, you know, uh, speaking tour and stuff like that. Right? We have lots of speaking tours. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. You know, like, like every Wizards time. Wizards on tour. Every time that we were anywhere, this subject would come up, and I was just like, I, I don't know, I, I would, maybe I would like to do that again. Yeah. And so I, the stars aligned here. They in, did in, really. In 2016. Yeah. They, 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 2015. Late, late 2015. Oh. Aligned. Yeah. So what happened? Tell me. Tell, tell what was the the impetus between uh, uh, getting this expansion off the ground, shall I? There was a time last summer when. Nathan and Liz said, hey, how would you like to work on Avalon Hill? And I said, hmm, I really like D&D. But then I thought, betrayal at House on the Hill. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> did they know, that, they, did they know that, that this was the thing you were interested in? Very soon after. Okay, yeah, okay. But as soon as people found out that I was now going to work on Avalon Hill, I heard from multiple people, you know, if you ever want to do more betrayal at House on the Hill, you should talk to Mike Selinger. Did they? Like, hmm. <laughs> Did Many, they? funny, huh? And then <laughs> I, I already am. Yeah, so then I just kind of had a rough idea of what I thought yeah. an expansion would look like and was told no the first time. <laughs> and then I went back. No, I mean, the, to be fair. Right? And then I came back. Wait, so like, you emailed Mike and he yeah. said no. No, he didn't. No, I... Oh. I before I, yeah, I went in reverse order. Before I actually talked to Mike, I talked to our powers that be, powers right. that be, and yeah. said, "I think we should do this. This is what I think it could look like. This is how I think we could do it." And they were like, "No, we're probably not going to do that right now. Go back and do something else." Yeah. And so the something else I did was just basically revise my pitch. <laughs> <laughs> basically, ask again. Like, yeah. Okay. More well, emphatic this time. Like, what Whoa. do you think about now? But and she, then, like, you know, they were there was like a concerned about resources and that's when I'm like oh no no don't worry Mike about Selinker it. and his company is gonna totally do this for me yeah like I think I even like stole your logo off the internet <laughs> put it <laughs> on my you, presentation did you really well, like no look at this and huh. they're like maybe actually okay there so was then a, I said Merles a... Merles can you do me a favor and call Mike Selinker <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that was the other thing right it was like so I was um I had no idea any of this was happening behind the scenes, right? Like this is this is all this machination was going on, right? mm-hmm. and I'm like, so I'm doing my own machination. So 
we were we were doing this magic project and things were going really well between us and wizards you know we were we were getting along great um, a lot of respect for each other really loved the crew here uh, uh, all the people and I was just like wow you know working with wizards would be fun again wonder if I should go in and see if they'd be interested in us just taking over Betrayal at House on the Hill. <laughs> like, I was all set. Like, I was going to make a pitch that was going to be like this. No way. Uh, really? No, like, dead serious. Uh, so I was... Write uh, a big fat check. I was. I was. <laughs> I was all set to come in and say, look, I, I know you're never going to do anything with this brand. Because I didn't know that it was, like, flying off the shelves mm. at this point, right? I thought it was something Wizards had forgot about. And so... Uh, I came in and I was I was like all set to go over um, and make a pitch to the very same people that Shelly was making her pitches to, to say it was a pitch off. Yeah, I know. Well, I never got to make one, <laughs> but uh, but I was all set. I was going to go in and I was going to say, okay, look, uh, I could I could buy this off you, and I do a little Kickstarter campaign. We're pretty good at that, you know that kind of thing. And I never did get to make that pitch because uh, because then Merle's called and said, can you come in? I want to talk to you about Betrayal at House on the Hill. Actually, I had Merle's call because I thought it would like be more serious. Like he would... Like, oh, take Merle's it seriously? Had, Merle's had... Because we're friends. Yeah, we've right. been friends for sure. a long time. But look, I wanted... I thought like he'll have a harder time saying no to Merle's <laughs> than to me. Oh, no, that definitely isn't true. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? You are much harder to say no to than well, Merle's. Well, you know that now. <laughs> you yeah. are much harder to say... Merle's is a pushover. Oh. <laughs> but, that is true. Uh, but uh, it's because no, he had a kid. Yeah, ever true. since he had a that's kid. True. Yeah, he's so, really mellowed out. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, that was. I mean, those were like the same week. Like I was. Wow. No, and I it was, was your birthday. It was. I was actually. I'd actually told my team that I was gonna do it sometime. You know, like in. Uh, I don't know, later in October or something like that. Once we got the magic thing sort of underway, I was going to go over That's and pitch so wizards yeah. on this. And then I came back and they were like, uh, I came back from one of my meetings here and uh, one of my many secret meetings. Many, here. many. Mm-hmm. And many secret uh, meetings. I said, well, remember that thing I said about we might make a pitch for Betrayal at House on the Hill? Well, I mean, it kind of worked. <laughs> they pitched me. Yeah. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So I convinced them to pitch me. And quite honestly, <laughs> I'm really much happier with the outcome that we didn't actually make the game that you guys actually printed and, and all that. Right? Like I was right. very, very happy with. Like this was sort of my last ditch attempt to make sure that you know people didn't forget about this game. That and of course they weren't forgetting about it. They were playing it all the damn time. Yeah, yeah. And so I had a completely wrong perspective on the state of the game. I thought it was just, you know, in the ash can at Wizards, but no, everybody was playing it and they loved it. So yeah, let's make some more of it. Cool. So what's, uh, 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 so now that uh, you guys got all on board to, to make the expansion, yeah. let's talk about what the expansion is. What is, what is it? What, what will people get when they, when they get the box? Okay. So Widow's Walk, which comes out in October, October 14th, you will get new tokens. There are oh. some new monsters to face off against. You get um, actually some of the other new tokens that are on there, which I think are really cool. Are the I'm glad you're leading with the tokens. Those are the most important. <laughs> tokens no, no, is a no, big I'm deal. Yeah, the original I game like, did not have enough tokens, so we're <laughs> adding more tokens. I, like, I, mean, okay, I like to build so up. In sheer quantity <laughs> of, of pieces you got last time to pieces you get this time, tokens are the biggest chunk. You get a lot of true. tokens. <laughs> it's yeah. true. And board gamers like pieces to their board sure. games. I was actually sorting through the copy that we had at PAX yeah. the other day at my desk, and somebody was like, my God, how many games did you stuff in that box? Like, this is one game. <laughs> it's one it's copy. It's one game. Yeah. All right, but so anyway, new tokens. Explorer yeah. tokens. Yeah, they're they're designed to keep track of your progress on the in the game in ways that you've been making up when it. you reach a certain age it's a little harder to remember yeah, exactly. if you've received uh, a, a boon from yeah or had, library a, had a few libations uh, actually yeah there, there's there were parts of this process where i was like wow mike selinker from 12 years ago was an idiot <laughs> like things that i could have put in the game like we're gonna we're gonna go to the hindsight larder. yeah we're gonna go to the larder and and uh do something that you can only do once a game. Why don't we mark that in some way? Maybe then right. nobody remembers. No, yeah. nobody, nobody remembers. remembers. And so okay, so there's those tokens. Yeah. And so the obstacle tokens are good. Yeah. Um, and then we have new 
There's some new rooms. There's lots of new rooms. How Perhaps many? 20 new rooms. 20 new rooms. Including a brand new floor. Yeah. And a bathroom. Yeah, and a bathroom a, for the first time I've ever. been asked. That's the second, the second most popular question I ever got about the trail um, was, other than when are you going to do one, is why isn't there a bathroom in that? Because it's a haunted house. That's okay? the answer I give every time. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's a haunted house. It's the I, worst possible I don't, house. Don't, I don't live even know there. if you can remember. Just poop in the foyer. Nobody cares. I had a really good tagline. What? The tagline for the game. What was it now? The tagline? <laughs> the game. This game is so... I can't now. It's not even funny now. God damn it. I hate when I do that. <laughs> what did it's you... It's like, I laugh too hard, and then it's... It's never as funny I, as I think it is. I still want to hear it. The tagline is, this game is so scary, you'll shit your pants. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no bathroom, get there's it? There's no bathroom. But yeah. now we widow's actually... Walk. I mean, we instead of Widow's Walk, you were going to call it the bathroom, right? <laughs> the yeah. bathroom. Yeah. The bathroom edition. Yeah. Um, but now there's not only there's a bathroom, there's a laundry room. There's a laundry room. Just in case. Yeah. Yeah. In case, that, that happens. Happens. in case that happens. In case that happens. There's all sorts of fun new rooms. Widow's Walk is actually a room. Is that, yeah, and it's, it factors in in a very cool, special oh, way yeah. that you'll find We're out later. We're not going to talk about that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and there's also new cards. There's new events, omens, and items. Yep. My favorite's the chainsaw. We do boom, have a chainsaw. Boom. Yeah, the boom, uh, chainsaw uh, only works if you make chainsaw noises. Which, Which I, I totally appreciate. Yeah, my, I actually, so my, my team proposed that, and I was just like, we can't do that. We can't. And they can. went, what are you talking about? Of course we can do that. <laughs> everybody wants to make chains on And everybody that I saw play <laughs> with that all, card all they, did. They immediately. Willingly. Yeah. Even like, they, yep. And they all had very distinct chainsaw yeah. noises. But maybe the biggest thing about this this expansion, or what are people are going to be most excited about, are the new haunts. Yeah. There are 50. Five zero. Five zero brand new haunts. That's the same number that was in the base game. Now we're up to 100 haunts. Yeah. That's true. And it's a, they're written by, um, as we were saying, a variety of contributors. So you're getting like the really creepy Christopher Bedell one, which I, I constantly bring up because it was emotionally scarring. <laughs> and then and physically scarring. And physically scarring. You've got two and, big and scars. Like, no one notices this, yeah. but yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, thank God. A lot of cover. I mean, we, we, Angela Weber. Yeah. Like, kitty cat one is really adorable, adorable mm-hmm. and cute and funny, but you know, yeah. it's creepy. Yeah. Pendleton's. Pendleton's wacky. is off the chain. It is completely so There's, there's something for everyone. Pendleton yeah. Ward, the creator of Adventure Time. Yes. In case you didn't know. Bravest Warriors, yeah. And he uh, just, I mean, everybody, the great thing about it is we could probably have done, just just me and my teammates could probably have done the game just fine, right? We would have made a fine game with lots of clever ideas and everybody would have liked it and, and so forth. But bringing in, like, these 30 people with the most visionary, crazy ideas means that this thing, it doesn't look, anything like the first set like the the levels at which it people put new directions in this game that you couldn't even imagine you don't even look at the game the same way after you play widow's walk because you didn't even realize how many things in there were waiting to be exploited things things about uh turn sequence and tile placement and and did you know the tiles have backs that's going to be important and you know all sorts of crazy stuff just happens in this game yeah and And i think this game is 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 unique in that it's not really a linear game like uh like monopoly or clue or even lords of waterdeep or anything like more modern it's a, uh, I think you said this at PAX East, it's more like a, a set of tools to create a game. Yeah. Uh, and each of these games are the 50 and now 100 new haunts mm-hmm. that you'll be able to play with that all play completely different. And you're right, like the people that created the game, you know, back in the 2000s, had a specific kind of framework with how they, they did it. But sure. then all these new ideas and new voices and new minds who have been able to take the, 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 the tools that were there and create crazy weird things that the original designers probably never even thought of when you were thinking about this you know no, I had none of back these then ideas. yeah I just think that's so cool it's funny you would think I'm a reasonably organized person and I keep pretty much everything I would have thought that I would have kept like a bunch of rejected ideas from the first 
first time out, and I went looking for it, and I was crushed because it wasn't there, right? I was like, oh, man. I probably had some really good ideas, and now I'm never going to... No, I got to start from scratch. Start from scratch. No, that turned out to <laughs> Wait, be no. great. I totally saw <laughs> that on your uh, uh, your hard drive when you were showing us to PAX East sure. in the presentation. I yes. was like, oh, there's the, the slush <laughs> exactly, file exactly, from yeah. But no, it didn't, have it. it didn't have it. So uh, <laughs> the things that people came up with in the absence of that slush file being there are just <laughs> amazing. The, the, um, I just feel like we've learned a lot in the last 12 years about both about how to make cooperative games, but also horror's kind of really different, right? Mm. Like, like you couldn't really imagine a movie like Cabin in the Woods. You couldn't imagine the popularity of a movie like The Surge, or The, the Purge, I'm sorry. Uh, I just gave away one of the titles of the haunts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I was going to say, that sounds familiar. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, things like that. I mean, just the, the nature of it all is all very different. And... Um, Storytelling's different. The uh, so we took advantage of all that, and I think that it's a really clever set that I think people are really going to enjoy. And now they've got a new one. Like that's the other thing is like they'll be able to play. The, I I once said that um, the people I am most jealous of in all of history, although this is fiction, um, <laughs> is the um, audience in the movie Shakespeare in Love. Mm. Because there's a point in that movie where Juliet has been poisoned and she suddenly wakes up, you know, from her coma and, you know, breathes this, breathes fresh air and every, everybody in the audience goes, <gasps> because they didn't know that was coming. Like, that's what people are going to get out of Widow's Walk. <laughs> like, they're going to flip open a haunt, and they're going to go, I can't believe what I'm looking at. <laughs> just to be clear, did you just compare yourself to Shakespeare? No, no, no. I compared myself to the audience in Shakespeare. Okay. <laughs> okay that's awesome. Just want to make sure. Just I, to be look, clear. They're, they're, I mean, we crib from everything, including Shakespeare. It's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That is true. So real quick, I mean, I know we've talked a lot about, uh, uh, you know, what this expansion is all about, but and we've explained what Betrayal at House on the Hill is for people who uh, uh, may not have known. But for Dungeons & Dragons players uh, who love that role-playing aspect but haven't really gotten into board games. It's like, a good way. I feel like this is a great transitionary thing. Mm-hmm. It's board, It's role-playing light in some sense. I mean, you have a character and you move around, you make decisions, you get inside that character's head. Your stats go up and down. Your stats go up and down. Yeah, you, you pretend, like if you're, I, when there's a character in the game named Ox and he's kind of dumb and people who play Ox tend to take on like the dumb guy accent and you know, one one of the characters is an eight-year-old girl and they, you know, people flounce around and pretend they're eight years old. Like, I mean, you get a little bit of, you yeah. get a little bit of it, uh, a little bit. And, you know, horrible things happen to you, just like in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you get the ex- exploration, you get the combat. Yeah. So yeah. it's all, it's all there. I mean, Story. And the best groups that we play with have been the ones who, who, who embrace the role playing. Yep. And yeah. make, and make chainsaws. No Absolutely. Yeah. I think it, it goes back to um, that sense that both in Dungeons and Dragons and in, in Betrayal, that that you don't know what's in front of you. Like you play a lot of games where you do know exactly what's going to happen. And well, while the other player may make some different decisions, and that'll cause you to make some different decisions. Fundamentally, you know the entire solution space of decisions. That is just completely impossible in Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. right? Like you have no chance of knowing everything your game master can throw at you. And in some sense, Betrayal does that too with the fact that you just don't know what haunt you're going to get. And you don't know what state you're going to be in when you get there. And you don't even sure, know who's going to... You don't know gonna, what items you're going to have yeah, or what your house is going to look like. Or what your house is going to look like. You sure don't know who's going to be the traitor. And, yeah. and, you know, all those things are kind of like getting a, a dungeon master, you know, your, your game master is the box, and the box is doing a pretty good job of keeping you on your toes, so you got to think your way through. Uh, you know what? I just, I, this is the first time I've clicked for me, but I'm sure other people have, this has clicked for you before this, but in many ways, Betrayal at House on the Hill is like the uh, progenitor of the adventure system idea for sure. Castle Ravenloft and uh, oh, Legend I, of Drist and all those. I think it's a straight line. Yeah. I think that there was uh, a lot of people here who... I don't know if they. It's, it's a mistake to say they grew up playing Betrayal. That's probably they're, they're older than that. But but there was in their heads, the, the, like in their in their early twenties or whatever they were mm-hmm. playing before they came to this company, and then they built 
and some of those people are contributors to this expansion. That's true. Right? Like, so Rodney Thompson's in, in here and, and so forth. And Chris Dupuis. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like, the, there's, a, there's a direct line, I think, to those, to those games. Yeah, because those are those, that kind of D&D style storytelling without uh, a DM, just to have the box be the, the bad guy in a way. Yeah, so, I yeah. think we're all, we're all sort of in that mindset of, like, what, what's behind the door? You know, is a is a thing that's that that just drives us through life, and the game's really good at that. Um, you wanted me to tell my my Russia story, didn't you? This actually does pertain to what I just said. So, uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, the door. I can see you're looking at me. So uh, I love it. Uh, so I was traveling um, in uh, Russia right after the wall fell. And it was, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a scary new place. Um, there was democracy in the air, but it, nobody quite knew what that was like. And so we got on a train going from St. Petersburg to Estonia. Uh, and at three o'clock in the morning, a guard came up to the door of our our train uh, cabin, banged on it with his, the butt of his machine gun, and rousted me, my father, and the woman we were traveling with out into the dark, complete darkness. Like, there was nothing. And the train is still running. And so, and they, but, and we realized we're not the only people who've been kicked off the train. A whole bunch of other uh, Europeans have been, have been kicked out, Americans have been kicked out. And we have no idea what to do. There's nobody telling us what to do. The doors have closed behind us. And I make out in the distance, there's a um, pinprick of light. And I go, I think we're supposed to go there. And so we get get our stuff together, and we go over there, and it's this tiny little house, a small building, um, with almost no lights in it whatsoever, just a really low thrum of the lights. And I go in, and inside is nothing except a four-foot-tall box. And we're like... <laughs> Hell has just, and by the way, we can still, all in the distance, it's walked almost a half mile, hear the train behind us. So it could take off at any minute. And everybody's looking around like, what do we do? And I noticed that there was a half moon cutout in the box. And I went up to it and I went, okay, I'm going to try something. I took out my passport, I opened it up, and I put it in the half moon cutout. And a tiny hand came out, grabbed it, and pulled the passport back in. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I might be out of passport at the moment. <laughs> but sure enough, a minute late, almost a minute later, there was a thump, thump, and my passport, again, slid right back out by that tiny hand. I never saw eyes, never saw a face, nothing. No voice at all? No voice, nothing like that. I went, this, do this to everybody in the room. And they did that, and we got, got our passport stamps. We got back on the train. And that's why you learn how to play Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> because, because at 3 o'clock in the morning on the Russia-Estonian border, you have been taught some survival skills yes. that will teach you what, the, what to do when you see nothing but a four-foot-tall box with a half-moon crescent cut out of it. valuable possession inside. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? That's why that's these amazing. games are powerful to us, yes. right? It's like the, there's a door... And we don't know what's on the other side of it, but damn it, we're going through whatever the consequences. And so, so yeah. I mean, if I hadn't been there, my family would still be trapped on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that little tiny hand would have nothing to do. Nothing, nothing to, to do. do. Just sitting in that box. I'm gonna assume there was another hand in there, but I have no idea really. Well, like, let's just say it was just yeah. one tiny hand. You're lucky there was you no magic what? trap. You should have written a haunt about a tiny <laughs> hand in a box. <laughs> there's a there's a tiny hand in a box. It's in there somewhere. That's anyway, awesome. that was uh, just the. I love that story. Yeah. I can't help it. It's good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for, for coming to talk to us. This has been fun. We're going to have to talk again when um, we get a little closer. So, so maybe next time next we time. get together, yeah. we'll talk about, like, you know, what you might see in some of these spooky corridors. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe if one of the uh, uh, haunt writers are available to come in, yes. that'd be a good way to do it, too, to have them we talk have, about theirs as well. We have many people who would fit that description. Excellent. Many, many people. Well, that's awesome. I can't right. wait for it. October 14th? Yeah. That's what yeah. she said. You listened to her. Betrayal of right. House on the Hill. You cannot say no to me. No. Widow's Walk. Yeah. 
What's the MSRP? Oh my gosh, that's the best part. $25. A, dude, that's like nothing. I know. That's like a passport. It's, it's like Estonia. a passport. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Awesome. Can't wait for it. Me too. Cool. All right. Thanks, thank you, Mike. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. That was great talking to Mike. He was a really cool guy. Are we going to pretend he's not in the room? He's totally right there. (laughs) I'm not in the room. (laughs) Thanks, you guys, uh, for listening to Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. As I said, we've split off uh, all the live play adventures to Dungeon Delph. Go check that out. Give some ratings. Make Chris Perkins happy. Do it. That's all I got to say. D&D Live and Meltdown. It's on June 1st. Uh, Check watch the website. It. Check the website, DungeonsandDragons.com. Also, twitch.tv slash watsy underscore DND. Uh, you'll have all the pertinent information there, and that's where you can watch DND Live from Meltdown. That's going to be awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, bye, you guys. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.